Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey everyone. I am so excited to bring you today's episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather, featuring Mark Brownstein of the Disco Biscuits. We're going to talk about our favorite versions of Down With Disease and go really in-depth on how the biscuits approach improvisation. Stay tuned for that. Before we dive in, I want to take a minute to tell you about Verzio Wellness. The Verzio Functional Mushrooms are here to help right now, whether you are gearing up for a show, going to sleep afterwards, or recovering and restoring the day after. Using varieties like lion's mane, chaga, reishi, and more, the Verzio concentrates the health benefits from these potent fruiting bodies into a supplement with a variety of applications. I take their lion's mane focus blend every morning and really enjoy the boost it gives me throughout the day. Order your Verzio now with code STORMSOUND15, which gives you 15% off your order and ships anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast by Storm Sound and Osiris Media. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I'm joined by Mark Brownstein. Mark is a founding member and bassist for the Disco Biscuits, Star Kitchen, and Electron. He is also the co-founder of Headcount, a preeminent voter registration organization in the music world, and Lively, a platform that connects artists and their fans with direct engagement. He lives in Philadelphia with his wife and three kids. Brownie, how are you? Great, Ryan. How's it going? It's a pleasure to finally meet you. It is a pleasure to finally meet you uh, on the podcast as well. A um, little bit of background. Um, I originally approached Brownie about being on this podcast when I first started it in the fall of 2020, and we have finally been able to sit down and record. This has been over two years in the making, and I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's been a hectic two years, uh, and uh, I've had the pleasure of sitting back and watch. Um, to watch as you know you have become a bigger and bigger presence in the live music scene and so i'm glad to be doing it now where you know kind of everybody knows ryan storm and his name gets called out from stages you know across the country and stuff and it's a it's a good time to be here on your podcast stormy weather yes thank you very much um 
I, I appreciate it, and I'm excited. Uh, today we are going to be – this is the first episode, surprisingly. We are 28 episodes into this, and this is the first time we're talking about down with disease. Um, so that's exciting. Um, you know, you, you, this is a, you did pick the song two years ago. Um, and, and no one else has, no one else has claimed it since. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about, you know, one of Fish's most, um, prominent jam vehicles. But before we get to that, tell me about how you got into Fish. Yeah, well, I, st- I started, I'm old enough to have been around the whole entire time. You know, that Fish has been a band. I started to hear about them in New York City when I was in high school. So, you know, going back into the very late 80s. Um, was the first kind of murmurs that I heard of them. They played a show at the Palladium on 14th Street, a long defunct room in New York City um, that, you know, of course they played at Wetlands and when they played at Wetlands, I was going to Wetlands all the time, but just Mm -hmm. couldn't catch every single show. I was kind of into the New York City based jam bands, you know, um, and funk bands. And ultimately... Missed that show at Wetlands, and then I missed the show at the Palladium, which was, I think, a year later. And then when I got to college, I went to University of Pennsylvania, and at Penn, there were all these, like, you know, prep school kids from the prep schools up in, like, Massachusetts and New Hampshire and uh, Exeter, Phillips, Phillips Academy, all of those, like, you know, Milton Academy, and specifically it was the kids from Milton Academy. There was like six or seven of them at Penn and Mm. they were the hardcore fish heads. I mean, they were really, really into it. They got to school. I was a sophomore. I had already sort of heard fish a lot when I was a freshman. I one day was like walking through the quad, which is like where the dorms are all around at Penn. And I heard fee on somebody's like boom box. Like I just heard it in the background and I was like, Oh, that's catchy. Like <laughs> I kind of get that, you know? And up until that point, everything I heard from fish just sort of sounded like super dissonant to me. That was my original like take was like, wow, this is a very dissonant band. And like, you know, like, that could just be catching 10 seconds of dissonance. Like, right. Right. Like they they go into so many places. So if your first, you know, foray into fish is walking to somebody's room and they're middle in the middle of a dissonant chromatic jam, you could just walk right out and miss the next two and a half years of fish and, and, and be none the wiser of, of what's out there. But it was fee. That was the first song where I was like, this is like poppy, happy, fun. And then um, that next year, people had tapes, right? Like I was a sophomore and all these kids that I met um, were freshmen. They came flush with tapes. And I remember the first tape that I really got into was um, this show from the Broome County Forum in March of like 1992. And it had a bunch of stuff on it that stuck out to me. Wilson, that was like a song where like the chords just kept changing. There was like all these different like three chord chord progressions and they kept changing and like yeah. the tonic kept changing, but every one of the progressions was super catchy. It was like they could have written six amazing pop songs out of Wilson just from like all of the different sections. Um, and that stuck out to me. And then there was an antelope, I think, in that show where like that really like connected. I was like, oh, wow, this is not only catchy and quirky and fun, 
but then it's got this like really intense jam. And I remember the thing that stuck out to me was it seemed like everybody in the band, this was how I would describe it at first. It just seemed like every note was right all the time. Like even in the dissonant stuff, it just seemed like they just were always doing the appropriate thing to compliment the other person in the band. And I had never heard music that felt that way where it was like improvisational, but always right. Right. And we, we always, we always talk about with fish. It's like four pieces of the same brain. Yeah. You know, that doesn't feel like four people on stage when, when, when you're listening to it. Yeah. And then if you, you know, I remember in the alive one, uh, alive again, whichever the alive, alive again, one, yeah podcast trey was talking about if if you take any single moment from fishes like music and just cut that moment out and then like look at the band each person has their own note and that note makes a chord right and that's the way they're thinking about it they're thinking that they're just always making harmonies by playing together right and then there's the other thing they do which is kind of fill each other's space like leave leave like uh, one of them will play on the the first beat of the measure one of them will play on the second and third beat of the measure and then you know the third one will will fill in that fourth beat of the measure and so you're creating like melodies through multiple instruments um and harmonies that way so that it they just stuck out to me as as way different than anything else and then i tried to go see them um at the Keswick Theater, which was the the Wednesday of Thanksgiving of my um, sophomore year of college, and I, I was also in the process of telling my parents that I was leaving school at that time. I was going to drop out of school and go to music school. That was kind yeah. of where my head was at. And my mom drew, drove down to um, Philadelphia and like packed my shit into my car with like I had a ticket to fish that night, and she was like, "Get in the fucking car, you're coming ah. home." <laughs> and so I didn't get to see that. And so my first shows were February 5th and February 6th at the Roseland 1993. That was like the following February. All of my friends from Penn drove up to New York, where I was now in music school at the new at the New School Jazz Program, which was on um, 12th Street and Sixth Avenue across the street from my apartment building where I lived. And so everybody came in and we all crammed into my dad's apartment for those two nights and partied and went up to Roseland. And that was my first experience. And like the rest is history, right? Like if you, if you're, if you get into fish and you catch some good shows and it's like, right. it's always, a, it always ends with the rest is history. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real rabbit hole type moment. That's, that's, that's an awesome that's yeah. an awesome story. And so how many how many shows have you seen now? I couldn't possibly tell you. you but I mean it's times. it's gotta be yeah. I, I don't know. If I if I went back in it's it's over a hundred and yeah. under two hundred. Um I, I see party. significantly less shows than I would like to see because I have right. my own band and for <clears throat> for multiple reasons. One is you know, it's hard as you get older and you have kids and just like finding time to do things and like go to going away to see music when I'm already going away to my job all the time. Right. It's, it's hard. To, it's a hard sell when you have family to be like, all right, just got home. Now I'm going to see fish. So I've had yeah. to sort of just it, grow to have sort of radical acceptance about like my situation, which is. You know, if I'm going to go, it's a special occasion, maybe like go to Mexico and see them for a couple of days at Riviera Maya. Like that's, that's one that I, that I would, you know, 
love to go to every chance that I get. I've done two of them. Um, sometimes catching, usually I catch the Halloween show if we're playing out in Vegas because we do the right. first three nights and then we take off that fourth night. Um, never get to see any of the New Year's shows because we have New Year's shows going on, you know. So it's it's a random, like, that I get to see them at the man one night in the summer. And, and, you know, if it wasn't like that, I would probably be doing more like, you know, five five to 15 shows a year. It's just right where my head would be at. Yeah, and it's if, you know, if they're playing in Philly and you're not on tour with the Biscuits or someone else, then it works out. But yeah. Yeah, I'll go. I mean, I saw four of the Baker's Dozen shows, right? Like, right. That, it just so happened I was in New York um, at, at my beach place for those two weeks and, you know, as many as I can get to, I go to, you know? Right. And that's always Makes my sense. policy. If, is, if I can get there without offending anybody, I'm going. You're there. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, so what, what is it about down with disease, um, that made you want to pick it? You know, obviously besides the fact that it's a great song and has awesome jams, but that was one, you know, when I think pretty much every song, uh, was still available, hadn't been talked about, uh, yet when you picked this two years ago. So what, what yeah, was well, about I'm older than everybody probably. Right. So it's like, you know, I, I'm like <laughs> thinking about like how my, my head's still back in like 1994 when hoist came out, I did not like down with disease. I didn't, my first reaction to it was that you it weren't was like, alone in that. Yeah. It was like cheesy. That's how we all took it. We were like, this is cheesy. Stop, 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 stop. That whole bit right there felt cheesy. And then I don't know the moment that it stopped feeling cheesy and started feeling epic, but probably the first time I saw it live, right? And, and, and the first series of Down With Diseases, there wasn't really a jam. They're all yeah. like six minutes, seven eight minutes, minutes yeah. seven minutes, right? It's a jam, but it's type one. It stays in, in A, right, through the whole course of the jam. You know, that kind of mm -hmm. sticks with the one and the seven and the four chords. Um, and then they kind of hit the melody and sing the the, the chorus. I, I almost chose a downward disease to talk about with you that stayed type one because I like that. <clears throat> I really like kind of just – playing over the changes for them, hitting the peak, like really hitting a, a, a tried and true fish peak and then coming out and singing and the song's over. And that's not what Downwood Disease developed into ultimately, right? It, like it developed right. into a major like second set opening jam vehicle that usually either ends with kind of petering out into another song or just kind of just like headstrong right into another song. But one way or another, they they've go. Started, they've started finishing it uh, a lot I, more recently, which I, I am so on board with. That was like always, it's like, all right, huge jam. Like now just bring it back. <laughs> Why not just bring it back, right? And and, and yeah. it's funny, like, okay, so you're coming in a couple of weeks to see your first biscuit show up in Buffalo. Um, and the, the thing about this, what you're talking about was, this kind of had a, a deep effect when once we got into 97 and the downward diseases started going out into like funk world and then ending up somewhere else that, that deeply affected how the biscuits jam, at least in terms of like set list construction. And for me, that feeling of wanting it to come back around that, that stuck with me as a, as a member of a band and a set list writer where we, we don't, we try to 
pay mind to the what was started and maybe it didn't get finished right in the moment but we try to close everything out whether it's later in the show or later in the run or even later in the tour we 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 try to keep an even you know keel between you know the the things that start the things that finish you know we like to to have there be like kind of a a nice bow on all of our jams right? right and and there's been so many of those where it's like, you know, we were talking about a Bowie from Stack, the Stackstrom when I was talking on um, Tom Marshall's podcast. We were talking about the Bowie from the Spectrum on 12, whatever it was, 12297, and how it ends in a Maki Super Policeman. And I very, very distinctly remember the feeling at that show of, huh, I just kind of wanted to hear the end of Bowie. Right. It's, like, it's a gut punch. It's like 123097. They played this huge long hood, and instead of finishing it, they went into My Soul. You just are looking for the payoff. You want the payoff. You had this huge jam. Like, now let's bring it back around. Give us that big ending that we're looking for. And, you know, Disease, I think that ending is not as easy to to bring back in than something like Bowie or Hood. Like, Bowie or Hood, the ending, you can kind of start out kind of mellow. Like, Trey can very easily just bring back in the chord progression. Disease, I feel like you have to, like, smash into the ending at like full speed which i feel like is harder to get to out of a big jam you've got to be an a right yeah. and they're not that's the problem is they're never an a when you get to the 20 minute mark yeah they're in d they're in g they're always somewhere else right and so you either have to kind of push it back up into a and then kind of you know push it into that realm of like i don't know what is it a minor a a mixolydian or whatever it is it's like you know, having that, it, it's more about the seven chord and the four chord, right? Than yes. it is even about the one chord. It's like about, it's about the way that the seven chord and the four chord frame out the tonic. Um, but I, look, it's fish. First of all, two things. Far be it from me to criticize fish ever, right? You right. Know what I mean, it's like they know what they're doing. Right? They know, like, yeah. I can't, like, I'm not going to sit back here, you know, uh, um, in my chair and say uh fish should do this or fish should do that but as a fan i do think it's fair to have opinions and i do think like you know we obviously the biscuits have a ton of fans that have very strong opinions about what we do and when we do it and how we do it um i such is the nature of the community (laughs) i got to a point very early on like you know like right around the turn of the century where i let go of any of these feelings of like wishing that fish would do what I wanted them to do because you can't be like, there's a, the expectations that you put onto the moment can affect your time. Right. And I don't, I don't want, I want to just go in with, with no expectation, allow fish to dictate what the creative process is and just kind of live in it and enjoy it no matter what it is. So I, I got there very early on in my fish fandom. Like, you know, it's like five to seven years in I, I 97, 98, I was jaded. I didn't like what was going on. I don't know why it was just like different and it didn't give the payoff that I was looking for. Even although now listening back, obviously the payoff was there many times a night, but, um, but you know, it's just like moments like, oh, where's the Bowie ending? Oh, now we're in this. What happened there? What, like, that's expectations, right? So, you know, letting your expectations go as a music fan is probably the best thing because, you know, even within 
a band, there's four people or five people or six, whatever it is. And even getting all of those people on the same page about what they expect to happen isn't always the easiest thing. So, you know, Mm -hmm. never mind what the thousands of people who are at the show want. You can't worry yourself with it. And so I I know that I get that. Um, That having been said, I love, I saw a disease, you know, last year where they came around later in the show and, and, and finished it. And I was like, yes, this is what I've been talking about all these yeah, years. This, like, this is it. <laughs> coming, coming back. Like, you know what I, what, you know, what we've talked about, you mentioned Berkowitz before we got on, but our, our friend Dan Berkowitz um, used to say like, you know, it, with regards to how the biscuits construct our sets, it'd be super cool to hear like fish do like, you know, like, um, Bowie into hood and then like the start the jam and Bowie ends at the end of hood with the hood yeah. peak. And then like maybe later flip it around and do hood into Bowie. And like, you know, there's, there's a world of things that you can do with like right. switching up where the jams start and where the jams end. But yeah. So for me, disease, disease has that melody. So to, back to disease, the, the, the guitar melody, it's so infectious and so big in the show that um, it just, I don't know. It's like my favorite, it's one of my favorite moments when like they're, when they're in the, when they come back around and do end disease and Trey comes back around and plays the down with disease melody and they start singing. It's like, you know, um, yeah, it's like you. It's like I. It's like you. Just like you feel like you can do anything. You feel like at yeah. that moment in time, like you, you, you know, the, like anything is possible, right? Like right. I, Like it makes me feel like I can accomplish anything in the world, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. So, I don't know. Like I don't have my like finger on the pulse of like what current fish fans like hold in high regard. Like when you're talking about like nobody picked disease out of 28 or 38 shows, whatever you you're doing here. Um, and, and that was my first thought was let's do disease. Right. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I really don't know what people like or, or what it is to me. I just have a, a very personal, um, relationship with the song, right? And 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 they and it launches these just fantastic monster jams. Two of which. Yeah. And speaking of fantastic monster jams, we yeah. have two of them here today. Yeah. Uh, you picked SPAC ninety five, um, and I picked twelve thirty seventeen. Both of which are fantastic and very very different jams. Very different. Um, they're both like you know SPAC ninety five is twenty five minutes. Twelve thirty seventeen is twenty eight minutes they're really interesting what 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 you know let's talk about spac 95 first what 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 sticks out to you about this jam what, what's it all about here? spac 95 is a study in eighth notes first of all right which i find very interesting because my band plays a lot of 16th notes right which can get very messy and i once heard mike gordon say in an interview that he doesn't play 16th notes which is clearly not true he obviously plays 16th notes but <laughs> it, but he said like when he's jamming he sticks to eighth notes right one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and dun, 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 dun. so this jam takes on this it feels like the the theme song to like a spy movie it's very dark i was like trying to i was trying to figure out what like what tv show or movie that is that it sounds like and i i couldn't i couldn't come up with it (laughs) 
Yeah, it's but got it a very like distinctive. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's like spy yeah. versus spy. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's going on. That's what I was thinking of. That's going on the whole entire like middle of the jam, right? So you know, I took some notes because there's so much going on in this jam, um, but. You know, it starts off in A, right? And it's, it, it, it goes kind of, it gets kind of minor. But like in classic fish fashion, there's like a point where I would say probably maybe nobody's even playing a third because like as I'm messing around on the piano and, 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 and listening to like what notes are in there, like it's like A minor, but it's like also there's like A major. They both kind of work at times. There's It, yeah. it, it kind of floats between between a minor and a major kind of a mixolydian or or like a uh, dorian feel right so that 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 c or c sharp kind of works but it's not even about that note it's more about the a the g and the f sharp right the e um but then as as it gets a little bit more it gets into like the 12 minute mark and it starts to take on that spy versus spy feel right and then there's this point this is what used to happen in fish back in the day all the time it's very hard to tell what key they're in there's yeah, it's just th this jam from that point on like 12 minute mark on like it just starts getting so dissonant and they're just like it's cr like you know the around the 20 minute mark there's like a brief 15 second period where fishman starts doing this like crazy jazzy fill stuff and it feels like a dark star for like 15 seconds and then fish just like, and then he just brings it back in to the groove, and suddenly it's just, you know it's a dissonant fish jam again. But it's right. stuff like that. It's just it's so like it's a lot of it's many minutes of dissonance. By the way, this many. this is so the difference between your disease and my disease is yeah. my disease has like eight to ten minutes of dissonance in the middle where you can clearly hear F F sharp G G sharp N A all. Everything from the minor six to the one mm -hmm. is 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 fair game. It's in like play. Yeah, all of those notes work perfectly well. So the and basically everything from the A to the F works too. They are full on chromatic, and then it kind of the tonic shifts a little bit. Like there's a point in there where it's like, okay, they're in F now. So like it's it, they're like the 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 eighth notes are still kicking. Right. The chromatics are still kicking, but you could kind of hear that if you had to pick one note of the 12 notes out, there's like a brief period. It's maybe like 30 seconds or less where that note is F, right? And then the whole entire band kind of shifts up a whole step and they agree on G. And, and, and then they're in G, like squarely in G, but it's still not really G. Then, then there's a point Weird in the jam. G. It's like so. It's there's like a the, point in the jam where the ending. It's like the the last chord of um, what's it called? The the last chord of Golden Road uh, by the Dead. Like it's just like it, it's noted as like Weird D. Weird D, right? Yeah. Like so this is like Weird G. Yeah. Right, and then. Coming like after they're 
they're playing through what we call in the biscuits like a rotation jam. So like everybody's looping and they're all taking their own sort of section of the bar and and it gets into a like a very loopy jam where all of the notes in the scale seem to be in play all of the notes in every scale. Like it's like a full on chromatic jam. Um and 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 Trey's like kind of pushing like a distorted eighth note thing and then it sounds almost like they're going to come out into the bliss fish right there's a point where it sounds like they're going to go to g mixolydian which is in your disease mm-hmm. they kind of hit that at about the 17 minute mark and, and we'll get there and and then yeah. ride that out for the rest of the way but it doesn't happen in my disease like they it, you can hear trey come in with a clean melody and it's like oh here it comes and then he starts playing this melody that's a g and f a c sharp a a a b and a g it's like he's 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 playing um he's playing g half diminished the tray on top of like yeah tree it's a half diminished it's a one a three but like with like a major three, it's super weird melody. Like that has like a major three, a flat five, a flat seven and a one in it. And it's beautiful. Like it's this beautiful, beautiful melody that Trey does. It's descending, starts up on the G and descends down through this, let's call it an arpeggio. Right. And, um, but, but it's, um, I, I mean, I guess it's almost like, it's not augment. It's like a. It's like an augmented fourth chord or something, right? It's like a major G with an augmented fourth, and or a G mixolydian augmented fourth probably is what it is if you wanted to like put it into like a chordal box, right? It's like the one, the three, the flat five, which is really a a, a raised fourth in this situation, and then the flat seven, and. It's super beautiful, but then it doesn't really ever resolve. And then ultimately what happens at the end of my disease, which I found to be really interesting, is they punch back up to A, right? And then they're playing straight up as like clear as it gets, just A minor, you know, like A, G, A, and like they, they're like, right? They're hitting that C. Like a stop start almost kind yeah. of. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. They're like, they're like in unison. Mike, Mike and Trey yeah. go into unison and they start. Well, and, and, and Trey's like, Trey page page to me in this jam. Also, there's a lot of parts where talking about the dissonance. He's playing a lot of piano that reminds me of the gin intro where it's just it feels like he's kind of hitting, you know, random shit on the piano, but it's in a very coherent way. Yeah, it it, it fits so well within and it's cool hearing the way he uses the clav um, for a good chunk of this jam as well, because it's, you know, this is 90. This is summer 95, right? Like the the clav is not what it's going to be in 97. Right. And, and when, when he's playing the clav, the band is not in a funk groove like 97 right. onwards. So it sounds so different in this context. It's like it's a, it's a weird non-funk vibe. Um, yeah. It's really it, interesting. It, it's, it's amazing to me how they don't kind of bite on when you hear that clav come in and the whole band doesn't immediately bite into funk world because right. once you hit 97 – 
they it's almost like they can't help it it's almost like it's like an automatic response to the instrument and actually i don't know how you feel about this but to me long like the long jam the type two jam of the night and in the second set they usually have like you know one in the first set maybe two or three in the second set right the the longest one tends to move through a bunch of like vignettes like four to five minute sections that are almost the whole thing seems framed by which keyboard page is on there's the part where he's on the piano and then like maybe, and you probably know better than me, like what kind of order he moves through, but there's the, then he'll go to the clav and that will make it into like the funk. Right. And then he'll be on the roads and that kind of makes it into the dreamy section. And then it'll come back around to the piano and the organ. And that's where they get into their bliss slash peak. Right. And it almost is, seems that, that's like a, that's a great way of looking at it too, because that's, that's pretty much what happens in the twelve thirty seventeen disease. You know, he starts mm. off on piano, goes to the roads and synths for a while. Synths, um, right? Then there's a, there's a clav portion, right? And then and then an organ portion, then a piano portion to finish right. it off. Like so, yeah. Do I feel like more than anybody else in the band, Paige? has the power to dictate the direction of where the jam is going in yeah. in 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 the last 15 years of fish because I, they yes. they respond so strongly to what instrument he's on that it, it it shapes the next 5 minutes of the jam and it's almost like page is going to decide where we're going right now and we're we're on for the ride but um but it's but almost in a formulaic way like where it's like almost like if he goes to the club you know what is about to happen mm-hmm. in fish where in 95 it didn't have that effect he was moving through keyboards but it wasn't pushing the band as far into that style like the band right. was like not reacting as much in terms of like, okay, now we're going to shift everything. It was just like, okay, now pages on clap and the is still going. The dissonance is still going. The, the chromatics are still going. They didn't hear an organ and immediately go to Mixolydian. Right. So what's interesting about the, the 123017 one too, I I feel like it doesn't follow that switch to funk when page hits to clap. Like he goes, he goes on to clap at like the, just before the, 17 minute mark and it feels like they're heading in this like dark and spacey direction around there yeah and he just kind of instead of you know going to like a funky groove they just they they keep leaning into that and like you know mike's got this like you know i, I think it's like a flanger on, on the bass at this point again <laughs> i'd know the keyboards better you would know the the bass right uh better there but the, yeah he's like, got like a kind of a synth that he's it's like yeah. mike has this kind of flangey synth bass that goes under there that that actually has almost more of an effect on any on what they're doing mike also his tones can push the band yeah you know in, in a totally different direction too because if mike hits a synth pedal or something or a flanger like that it's very very powerful Right. It's a lot, especially like, yeah, in, in this time. So the, the, the new year's run 2017 Trey had just like done a complete 
overhaul of his whole rig. And there are all these like delay and reverb tones and stuff that he only had for this one run and then changed, you know, he like he overhauled pretty much all the pedals again before 2018. So there's all these really unique sounding delay effects that make, you know, that, that make this run sound. And it's, it's very evident in this jam, obviously, like he's got some really heavy delay going for a lot of it. Um, and I find that this is, it's very page and Mike driven, like a lot of 2017, 2018 stuff, page and Mike are right at the forefront. They're the ones, they're, they're the ones like, you know, coming up with the new ideas. They're the ones driving and Mike, like, you know, there's one point around the 10 minute mark where Mike like aggressively modulates the jam and then everyone else follows him. Yeah. He go they're, they're in a, right. Yeah. And then they, all of a sudden they're in D at that. And, yeah. and they're now in D for like the next five to six minutes. Like Mike just pushed it up a fourth. Yeah. And then they're all there with him. Yeah, for sure. And, and I feel like with key changes, like as a bass player, I, I know this, but like with key changes, I mean, so much of it has to do with where the bass lands, right? Yes. Because you, you know, like if 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 you're playing on guitar, let's say you're playing a C and E and a G, and I'm in playing an A, we have an A minor chord going on, right? Right. But if I drop a D in there and you're playing a C, you know, and all of a sudden we're playing like a, like a, a, a suspended nine chord, right? You're playing a C, which is the seven of D. You're playing an E, which is the nine of D. And you're playing a G, which is the, you know, the suspension, the fourth, right? And so, and that's an awesome chord, like, right? A, 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 a sus nine chord is such a fucking great chord, but like, the difference between your sus nine chord being a, a D sus nine or B or being just an A minor chord is what is the lowest note in the chord, right? And and I you know I can also play a C there and we're in C major, right? Yeah. So if as a keyboard player, like I I love I tell the guys who are playing all the harmony notes up top, if you hear me modulate it onto a different note don't chase me right don't say oh what's that let me change now my notes to a, you know like if you're i'm playing a and you're playing c e and g don't you know switch to an e a g and a an a or whatever like don't switch at all because yeah i'm going to just change the what how the crowd is listening to the music and if you do nothing it's like a mirage it's like a it's like a magic trick right like if mm -hmm. the bass changes its note and the key, the keyboard players and the guitarists don't change their notes it's still going to sound like your notes changed right and there's a certain beauty and magic to the crowd hearing your notes differently depending upon what bass note is there. And to me, that's like one of the most beautiful things about improvisational music is how a C as a third sounds different than a C as a one or as a C as a seven, right? But it's mm -hmm. still a C, but like the crowd hears three, one, seven, that C, like they, they, they hear that C like it's changing, right? And it's, it's like, uh, it's it's like um 
it's true. It's truly magic, right? Like the, the magic of music is when, when you don't change your note and it sounds like it's changed. To me, that's like one of the most magical things that happens in improv, right? right? And I, I hear it all the time when I'm listening back to music and I'll be like, oh, what's that note? Like, and then I'll go searching for it. And it's the same note that I was just listening to, like, you know, four bars earlier in a different context. Yeah, exactly. The, the context has changed. That's really cool. So with, with the biscuits, I know, you know, I, I, I had Joel um, from Umphreys on this podcast um, near the beginning. And he, he talked about how when Umphreys is improvising, they have like hand signals to signal like, okay, we're going to modulate. We're going to go major to minor, whatever. Do you guys have anything like that in the biscuits or do you just go by intuition? Our charts are our ears. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like we, we have to do it by ear, right? And look, there's times where somebody will be playing something and I'll just not be able to kind of grasp what it is. There's times where I'm like, what chord is that? And I might go to our our talk back monitors and just be like, Magnet, what's that note? And he'll, yeah. he'll be like, it's almost always a two or a six, right? Yeah. Like. I could hear the three, I could hear the four, I could hear the five, I could hear the seven. The six is kind of a tricky note, right? It's just a little bit tricky in it, as a bass player, right? I, you're sitting there on a piano with all your fingers down and you can see what you're doing and you can, you know, grab different things. And But I, I don't have like the... The, the um, visibility. Yeah. I don't have that visibility, right? I'm like, yeah. I, I, I also don't have multiple fingers to play multiple notes at the same time to like kind of go, oh, here's the six, here's the seven, here's the two, here's like, you know, like you could kind of poke around on the piano yeah. and you, find... you can do You can do trial and error to figure out what it is until you figure it out. Yeah, You could poke around and it's just different harmonies and stuff. But like, I'm not going to go like as a bass player and I'm an A, I'm not going to go just like guess what six is being played or if it's a six <laughs> or if it's a nine. So it's usually yeah. like upper extensions, like 13s and, and, and 11s and, and, and stuff like ninths, you know, things like that where I'm still – kind of learning how those things sound like jazz chords and stuff. But um, yeah, no, mostly, mostly we do it by ear. Now we, we also know the signals. Like we, everybody uses the same signals. They're all from the, the new deal, the band, the new deal. They like invented the A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's the, those are the signals and then sharp or, you know, flat. And like, you know, I know Umphrey's, they do like a smile if they're in major or a frown if they're in minor kind of a thing. We mm-hmm. we do like a if 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 we're in playing in major and Magner goes minor and he hears that I didn't catch it, he'll he'll just like do a signal where he points his finger like horizontally to the ground and that's like a that means minor. So we've used we've played with Umphreys a lot. We've used the hand signals. Yeah. We've played with the New Deal a lot and we've used the hand signals. Um, I don't there's I don't have anything against that system, but I think like I, I know like with bands like The Dead and Fish, it's all happening by ear. Nobody right. is ever You're doing it organically. Of, it has to be that way. And if you yeah. can't catch it, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because every group of notes going. is a harmony. Any yeah. group of notes that go together creates some kind of harmony, whether it's the intended harmony or, or not. Or not, it's yeah. still 
kind of being heard as what it is by people. And to me, that's good enough. Like it's good enough sometimes to not know what's going on. You know, I, I did a show while back like 15 years ago with Joe Russo. Um, he was the drummer of Electron back in the day. And I said to him at, at, at set break, I said, Hey man, there's times in your beats where I don't know where the one is. And like, I'm like, just like, feel lost rhythmically and I want to like know where I'm supposed to come back around on the one. And he said, if you don't know where the one is, that's because there is none. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and he's like, it's okay for there to be no one as well. We're like moving around and I'll, don't worry. I'll let you know when the one comes back, you'll know it's coming. And, and, <laughs> and awesome. you'll be able to hit it. And it kind of, that comment changed the way that I thought about improv jamming with regard to like, you know, measures and bars. Um, there doesn't need to be a one. There doesn't need to be a tonic. We heard it in this fish that went in this downward disease from 1995. You know, yeah. there's a clear section for at least over a minute where not one of the notes on the piano sounds like it resolves what the guys in the band are doing, right? Yeah, they're just hanging. They're hanging in tension, and they were. That's that's the like the, you know this jam is so good at capturing what what they were doing in summer '95 because that's when they're like they're, they're like you know they're coming off of the experimental fall '94. They're trying to push, you know, they haven't found the fall '95 you know jam yet. And they're doing these like long explorations where they're just like, okay, like, you know, what are we going to do? And they're throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. And one of those things is like, okay, we're all going to play a bunch of notes and it's going to sound like an angry cloud of music, but it's really cool because while like anyone and any band can go and sit down and, you know, they can all play random notes and it'll sound like an angry cloud of music, but it's hard to do that in a way that it still sounds cohesive. And I think a lot of that is also due to Fishman because, you know, he's he's anchoring the whole thing in in this groove, right? While it's still keeping it loose and, you know, obviously flowing. And as I mentioned, there's that moment where, you know, f for 15 seconds, he's doing crazy jazzy fills and stuff. But he's anchoring it the whole time. And that's why Trey, Mike, and Paige all being off in their own worlds and playing you know, dissonance off each other. That's why it works. Yeah, that's right. You're right. And you're talking about, you know, pretty much one of the best drummers in the whole world at oh, yeah. that and at anything. He's truly obviously one of the most, the, the one of the best drummers I've ever heard, you know, and it's like he, he breaks down any kind of preconceived notions about what a drummer should be, but like his ability to capture like a Clyde Stubblefield type of like, you know, James Brown-esque like um, swing and funk, is something that a lot of drummers from our modern era can't do with the kind of grace and efficiency that he does it with. But, you know, I, I spoke to him one time. Fishman came on a, uh, a phone call that we had with all of our team leaders at Headcount. We have, like, a phone call every Friday with, like, the 50 mm -hmm. team leaders back in the day. And Fishman came on. Uh, he's super political, and he came on one time to – just meet the team and, 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 and fire everybody up. And he told us on that phone call that he practices like five hours before sound check. 
and yeah. then sound checks, then plays the three hour show. And then like, if he can, he'll just go back right into practice. Like he's an obsessive, obsessive, you know, practicer. That's, mm-hmm. that's his thing. And you can hear it in his playing. It's, it's fantastic. You know what? One thing I want to touch on is like how fish, ends jams like what how they normally ended jams back in like 93 94 what they did in 95 and then kind of what they did in 2017 because it's so different in in all of these cases right back when i was seeing fish in 92 93 93 94 95 you could pretty much bet on reliably that if they were in that space where they were just sitting in attention that it was going to all resolve to one big note from Trey. That what was where it was leading was building, 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 moving yeah. through the harmonies, and that ultimately there was going to be a resolution where they all came around into usually like some kind of a mixolydian chord, and Trey hit one long held note on top that felt like it was. You you can hear the note coming from. Not four bars away, not 16 bars away, not 64 bars away, but you could hear it coming from three, four, five minutes away. Like you can hear that they were working towards this place and that you knew where it was going to end, but it didn't make it any less great. Um, It was the ability to telegraph one note from hundreds of bars away that – that I mean, that was really like the defining characteristic of their jams that brought in a whole generation of of people my age. That mm-hmm. uh, that kind of magical ability to telegraph one note. So, but in my downward disease that I picked in summer '95, they you could hear the note coming, but they never hit it. Like they yeah, were Trey, in G. Trey just Trey decides so. When I was listening to this earlier, you know, I've only listened to, the, to, to this disease a handful of times. Like, I'm not the hugest fan of this era of jamming. Like, there, there are many other eras of fish that I prefer uh-huh. and I would rather listen to. But, you know, it was nice to go back to listen to this because I hadn't listened to summer 95 in a little while. Um, but it, it's interesting. Like, you know, 23 and a half minutes, Paige hits the synth and starts doing some, like, cool stuff. And instead of exploring it more, Trey just, like... Mod, just modulates it up to D and just into free, like you know. Uh-huh. He makes the he makes the call there and goes in. Now I I I think at this point they still had written set lists on stage. Right. Um, I think that like they stopped using them sometime around ninety seven. I think. Um, but it's it's interesting hearing how you know they're taking all this time to explore every inch of this dissonant space, and then Paige comes up with this really interesting new thing on the synth. And Trey says no and just, you know, hops into free. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and like, starts actually, like, forcing the the free chord in, you know, several kind of minutes before they hit it. It kind of just, like, sets it up and you can hear that that's what's coming. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting that they – well, first of all, they moved to a lot of places, right? They were like in A, they were in F, they were in G, they were back yeah. in A, and then they're all of a sudden up in D. I, I love how many modulations are going on here. To me, like that's a mark of a really interesting jam is the band is moving through a lot of different harmonies and everybody is kind of catching on to them and hitting them um um responding and and falling in together 
over these over these sections. Um, but you know, there's also that feeling of there was a great opportunity when they got into A to come around and hit the end of the song. Like they could have yes. like there they were like right there and like they very easily could have taken it from 22 minutes or nine, 20 minutes, you know, built up into the four and seven chord, you know, played the melody and come out and sang. Um, and then they didn't do it. They kept exploring. Trey pushed them into a new key, you know, and they, they kept moving around. Uh, and, you know, again, it's like the expectations of what you, what I probably was expecting was going to happen in that moment, you know, versus what ended up happening. Um, and then, you know, they kind of hit free at, at, at like extremely slow tempo at the beginning of free for like where they were. Uh, and I didn't even get into the free. I let it, I, I listened like into like about 30 seconds into the free and stopped and then started to go back and try to dissect what was going on in this um, disease jam. But then in, in your disease, they end up in like stop starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. They do the woos. Yeah, the um, which is interesting because you know they in in the twelve thirty seventeen disease they hit this massive long drawn out peak you know like they 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 do this that segment we were talking about earlier about that like dark spacey stuff and they emerge from it um you know like eighteen ish minutes ish um but they they go and they're just building and building and building and then you know Trey just you know goes crazy and it's it's interesting to me hearing because. In this show, especially, I know listening to stuff like the the, the mics and the Wikipog in the show, they're playing very slow, which which happens nowadays. Happened in in 2017, like they're you know they can't play at 95 speeds anymore. But then at the end of this jam, they're going at like breakneck speed um, through this peak, which is really interesting and funny to hear. Like they're able to pull this off with the improv, but they're taking the you know, their their songs like Mike's and Weekapog are taking those jams at a much slower pace.
but yeah, they go at this huge peak. There's some there's some woos, and then inside a minute from the first woos happening, it's like it, it's like a quick. It's like 20 seconds from like a you know they do like a quick little rave up, and then it like mellows, and then Trey puts us in steam. Yeah, and it's like it was a really smooth. Um, you know, like a smooth segue into steam. Like it hits very smoothly. But, you know, what's interesting is the jam from 18 to like 20, whatever, six or whatever it is, easily could have been built into the peak of disease, right? Like they could have easily come back around, although they weren't in A. They were in G. They weren't in A, yeah, but they could have gone back down. There, There have been versions where you know, they're, they're in a peak in a different key and Trey will just kind of like be like, all right, we're, we're diseasing again. Uh-huh. They'll either like punch it up a whole step or, or he'll like throw it down and it'll kind of be a bit messy for a second, but they'll make it in. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Like Trey will definitely doesn't, he's not scared to jam something into the, into into the set and, and, and push them back to where they, they want to go. Like in our world, what we would do to in that situation, if we found ourselves in G Mixolydian and we wanted to get to A Mixolydian and peak the song out, there's one of two things we would do. We'd either use a D as a stepping stone to A, right? We'd either go up a fifth, sit on that fifth for a minute or two, and then go up another fifth and then we're home, right? Or I'll just pu- – I'll do that, that move where I'll just punch – the whole step up like i'll, I'll bring in the b the or the a if we're yeah. in g mixolydian and i want to get to a i'll bring in a chord progression I'll, I'll i'll bring the a in on the on this either the first half of the bar or the second half of the bar either way and i'll just kind of toggle between g mixolydian and a you know um aeolian right like the 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 a minor and 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 then I have a way of sort of saying to the dudes in my band via how I'm playing, I'm not going back to G on this one. I, the way that I do it is I either I change from if I'm like playing a staccato bass line, I'll go legato. If I'm playing a legato bass line, I'll go staccato. Or if I'm playing like you know A's and E's and C's or something I'll come in and I'll just play eighth notes over A if they hear yeah. eighth notes over A like do 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 yeah, they know it, you're making it clear that you're starting a new idea that you're not just like in the you're 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 starting a new sent a new musical sentence you're not it wasn't a comma it was a period and you're in the next one like that's you know, exactly right and you have to yeah. you have in order to make that period happen something different has to happen on the other side of it right and so i'll change the way i'm playing the a chord one way or another and my band will then know he's not going back right and and you know that's kind of when we talk about umphreys and the key changes uh, like using the code or for the key changes or the hand signals or whatever you know that's my method my method is to push in the chord where we're going and go between like if we're in if we're in G and we're going to C I'll bring a C chord in and I'll toggle between the 1 and the 4 and then I'll make a statement hey guys I'm not going back to this G right now and everybody knows like everyone in the band can hear it coming from you know 8 to 12 beats away like he's about to stick on this chord and Aaron has the same thing right and John we all have the same 
in our own way, the same way of saying to the band, hey, that's it. I'm done with that previous chord. And then, yeah. boom, modulation, chord change, right? And to me, the key is, right, like not jamming it in, but like saying it gracefully, right? Like to me, it's like if it's conversational, we accomplished our goal, right? To, like that's the thing about music is – People often ask me, how do you know what to do or what to say, right? And I say, well, you know, in a regular conversation, I don't know what I'm going to say before the conversation starts. It's, it's, I react to what the words that are being said to me with words that make sense uh, in response to that. And music is exactly the same thing, right? We're, I am by no means fluent in music. It's weird that for playing for 27 years professionally that I wouldn't be fluent, but you know, it's like, there's a lot, there's it's infinite possibilities and infinite combinations. And, and, and um, you know, as a bass player, like, all of the inversions make it that's what makes it kind of hard to to hear like i'll hear the bottom note but it won't be the one then i'll have right. to figure out is it the three or is it the five what fucking yeah. key are we in and as you as you get older and you play more and more and more these things become easier and 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 you know my fluency you know increases little by little but um it's a second language, you know? And it's like, to me, it's like music is a second language. It's still my second language. Uh, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to being fluent in it. You know, I spent, uh, this is O'Teal's bass back here. Uh, He sent it to me. It's a six string bass. He sent to me in the middle of the pandemic so we can do a little studying together. And like, he really opened some gates up for me um, over the last couple of years and sort of helped me kind of see things in a way with that, I wasn't looking at music and um and then he said to me he's like yeah I got a lesson tomorrow too and I was like man O'Teal's takes lessons like yeah. he, he, you know O'Teal's takes lessons right and that's the thing about music there's always something new to learn no matter who you are no matter how long you've been playing I'm listening to Herbie Hancock's book on tape right now and um he talks about that same thing like you know even as Herbie Hancock, he's still learning new things about music in his, like, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. So, you know, it's just the possibilities are endless with music. And, um, you know, I did something tonight that I've never done before, which is you're going to probably think, wow, how has this guy never done this before? But Mm -hmm. I picked my bass up and played over down with disease and played along with fish. I've never played my bass along with fish before. I listened to fish as a, as a, listener it's a separate thing right yeah i know i'm a fan and i know like music well enough to like be able to hear like you know ones and sevens and fours and threes like i know the chord progressions like i know the chord i I didn't even know what key down with disease was in until i picked it up today but like i know the chord progressions of the song i know like how it all goes i just needed i needed a first note once i knew the first note i was able to play through the song with the band in the jam that's where it got really interesting when we got into i was playing along with your disease by the way because it's it's not it's um not so dissonant and it has like right a, it's, this, it's easier to play along to for sure it has a distinctive like mixolydian eight minute mixolydian section but i yeah. played from like 18 to 25 along with the band and and it was 
it was fun. Like, you know, I'd never played along with Trey. He's my favorite guitar player in the world. And I was playing along with him and kind of working in between Mike. I've, I've played with Mike on stage before. Like we've played together um, mm-hmm. several times. Um, but, uh, but I had never kind of played off of the whole band like that. And it was a cool experience. I'm probably going to do it some more when we're done because I, I was, I'm glad I could, I'm glad I could help inspire uh, such a thing. That's yeah. That's I felt really like cool. it was smart. Like I was learning, I was learning something in that moment by playing along with them. But one of the things that I, that I learned in that moment was just like how much I knew, like, you know, I was like learning how much I knew. Cause I don't think 25 years ago, I could have picked up the bass, played along with them and made it sound mellifluous, like, you know, and, and, and smooth, but like, man, playing a, I'll tell you, playing a Mixolydian jam along with fish is one of the most fun things you could possibly do. That was it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do that sometimes too. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah. And do you, you've, um, you play fish songs, right? You had a band with your family that played fish I, we, songs. We still, we still, we still play occasionally. Um, yeah, we we don't we don't really we don't really stream or do anything like Who that. Who plays guitar? I, your dad. My dad plays guitar. My little brother plays drums, and I play keys. Okay, fair enough. I love it. We we've been we've been incorporating a bunch of uh, goose covers recently. Okay, fair enough. I don't know them as well. I, I don't know their songs as well. Like I'm not as as I know the names because you see it like every day online and everything, right. you know, and I've, I've heard some of them like, you know, Wisteria and stuff has like a very cool kind of like run like hell disco biscuity kind of jam in it. Like that's mm-hmm. that, that spoke to me because it reminded me um, of like kind of the way that we jam over that song. And um, that's cool. They're fucking awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, this is, uh, this feels like a great place to wrap up the episode. Brownie, thank you so, so much uh, for being on today. Really, really excited that we were able to make this work finally. Really excited that it's just a couple of weeks before my first Biscuits show. I'm very much looking forward to that uh, in Buffalo. Um, and Karina Reichman opening is like an insane bonus also that I was very happy about because I've been dying to see her live too. So Yeah, she texted me a couple of days before we announced it and was like, hey, I see that you guys have a couple of shows that don't have openers on. And I, I was like, you don't okay <laughs> i just turned nice. around and called and was like put karina on these four shows i mean she nice you know like uh, and then i texted her i was like all you need to do is ask you know i i love um i love karina as a bass player she's an incredible person she's coming to iceland with us later in the year as well so mm-hmm. yeah well great i'm looking forward to seeing you out there in buffalo and uh stay in touch Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brownie. And thank you, everybody, so much for listening to this episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather. A reminder to any Goose fans that at the time of this release, the Goose Jam of the Year 2022 bracket will be out um, and ready for your um, digestion or consumption or listening. Uh, However you want to call it, there will be a very long, always almost there episode about that. But go check that out uh, if you're interested. I'm calling Mudhaven. I'm calling Mudhaven on that. There, there's, there, there are some high-ranked ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. Hope you have a fantastic day. I will see you next week.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.